Um, before we begin, a disclaimer, this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for any investment decision. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security. The securities discussed on this podcast may be owned by persons being interviewed. Before making any investment decision, please consult an investment advisor. From Frankfurt to Seattle. And we were supposed to go from Seattle to Portland, but we got stranded there because uh because of the oh, storm geez. we were there at the airport and flights are basically being canceled all over the place and you had this long line of frustrated angry people <laughs> wrapped around the check-in counters yeah. and then you see like there's there's a separate check-in counter reserved for microsoft and amazon employees like totally are you serious empty, right yeah yeah i took a picture of wow. it actually it, it's just a bad look you know it's like a bad oh, that's PR a terrible look. look so 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 what did you do so then how did you get from seattle home so we had to stay overnight um so we, we yeah i mean we just went to a hotel and uh and booked another oh. flight for for the next and, morning and you yeah, probably had brutal. like tons of shit with you just tons yeah. of shit and then like you know the baby yeah. all right man should we um should we, should we jump in here yeah sure uh my guess is like you you probably know this name a lot way way better than i do so carry the ball at points where where i uh kick it off where i screw this up yeah Kinei is a holding company, you know, it's run by Bill Foley. So I think, I think like the story around Bill Foley is really important. So Foley, he, you know, he was a former captain in the, in the Air Force, and then he became a lawyer. And then like in the, in the mid 1980s, he saw like the earnings power of title insurance and he, and he, along with some private equity players, bought Fidelity, I think it was called like Fidelity title insurance or something. And over the next 30 years, just executed this um, M&A roll-up strategy. He basically has built the number one title insurance company in the US. So these guys have like a 30, 33% market share of US title insurance. And, um, you know, he did this through smart deal making, but then also, you know, an, an intense focus on, on, on costs and not taking on excess um, risk. You know, even it's, I think that culture still permeates today. So if you look at the operating margins of FNF versus its closest peer, which is First American, um, FNF continuously operates at I don't know two to three hundred, two to three percent EBIT margins higher than than their peers, and and so you know this guy has been around for a long time. He's got you know multi decade decade track record of creating value, and he's just proven to be a really smart capital allocator and and, and operator of some of these businesses. You know he, he's also been in like the restaurant industry for a long time, and I mean I I'm not. 100% sure, but it seems like his track record there is a little bit more spotty. You know, Foley has built multiple high-value businesses. So um, he built FNF, which is a $10 billion market cap, com- cap company. FNF spun out FIS, which is a $40 billion market cap company. And then FIS also spun out Black Knight, which is a, another $10 billion company. And so he's um, been on the boards and, and chairman of these companies for a long time. And just kind of, it's a testament to you know, the empire that he's built. Yeah. So anyway, so, so Kinei, it's, it's the former FNF ventures and it's kind of like the holding company for his random investments that he's had over the years. Cool. So today Kinei is made up of three businesses. There's a collection of restaurants under the name American Blue Ribbon that consists of such illustrious brands as Baker Square, O'Charlie's, Village Inn, 99 <laughs> Restaurants. And then there's T Systems, which is a niche healthcare IT company. 
And then Kinney recently participated in a consortium buyout of Dun and Bradstreet that left them with a 25% interest in that company. And finally, and most importantly, there's Kinney's stake in Ceridian ticker C Day, which is the most significant source of value for Kinney. So if you apply a uh, 5% discount to their equity stake and subtract taxes on the gain, it looks like their C-Day stake is worth $1.2 billion versus Kinney's adjusted enterprise value of $1.8 billion. There's a few different ways to look at this. I guess you can say, well, I want exposure to C-Day, and if we assume such and such values for American Blue Ribbon and T-Systems, I can create Ceridian for a discount to its current stock price by buying Kinney. Or since Ceridian is publicly traded, you can say, you know, let's buy some Kinney, short out C-Day, and then isolate our exposure to American blue ribbon. All right. So as far as the stub piece goes, I mean, I think there's two there's two parts. One is that these t- that C-Day and Ceridian trade very independently, and so there's a mark uh, like a mark to market issue that you just have to be comfortable with on the, in that in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then the second is that there's no real imminent catalyst for for that spread to change. So uh-huh. um, Ceridian they've already IPO'd, and then uh, the window for for Kinney to sell stock down in the secondary has already lapsed. So there's no like clear catalyst that would say, okay, they're going to do another secondary at this juncture. So I think it's, yeah. I think the sub's kind of hard to, to trade. I'm not saying you, you can't do it, but it just seems like you're going to have a lot of capital tied up without any like near term um, event that's going to make that, that gap close. And I think the, the yeah. fact that Ceridian is such a large part of the overall, some of the parts, it just means like your your overall like your gross exposure is going to be very high to put on a very little amount of exposure, right? Okay, makes sense. Um, so maybe a good place to start is with C Day since it's the biggest piece here. Um, so C Day provides human capital management and payroll software, and just to give you a sense of the landscape, so you've got a lot of point solution providers. Uh, so these would be companies that touch, you know, performance management or recruiting individually. And then you've got players that integrate payroll and HCM across the size spectrum. So, you know, at the low end addressing companies with say fewer than several hundred employees, you've got, uh, an incumbent like ADP who is everywhere, but losing share. And then there are newer companies like Gusto and Zen benefits in uh, the mid-tier, so that's addressing companies with workforces between, call it sev- several hundred and maybe three to four thousand. There's Ultimate Software, which is getting acquired, uh, Paycom and Ceridian, and then at the higher end, so this would be large enterprises, um, including the Fortune 500. There's Workday, SAP, Oracle. So those are just general buckets. The boundaries between. Um, a large, large enterprise and mid-size gets a little fuzzy, and uh, and increasingly so. Workday and SAP are trying to push down market. Paycom is moving up market. So, uh, whatever. I just looked at um, number of customers and like annual revenue from them, and so you've got a company like Workday, which um, pulls in about 500k, over 500k a year from a customer. And, and that makes sense because, um, you know, the, the breadth of offerings that they have. Ultimate Software is like 250. And then um, Ceridian's 120. And then you got Paylocity and Paycom, which are like below 30. Cool. And then did you want to talk about Ceridian's history? Yeah. 
If you just go back to 2007, FNF, which was um, Bill Foley's primary company at the time, they joined up with TH Lee and bought Ceridian, which is a public company, and, and took that private. From my understanding, they just kind of ran it for cash. I don't think they really invested too much into the business over the couple over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then in, in 2009, what's his name? Bill um, Ossip. Dave, or Dave Ossip. Ossip. Yeah. So in 2009, Dave Ossip came along and he had built the Dayforce plat- platform. And Dayforce is a, um, it's a payment platform that allows for um, continuous calculations. So if you work in, uh, in, in an HR payroll role, with, with many other platforms, you really can only access an employee's information at the end of the period. And so you'd have a very short window to go through all of the employees, make sure the calculations are correct, and then remit payment. And so OSIP had the idea of having a continuous calculation so that um, that employee could access it over that entire you know two-week period, for instance. And so that's like their flagship product. And in 2009, he, came, he went to Sertian and he, he proposed a, like a, basically that they buy him out with the rationale being that he's got this really awesome continuous calculation platform, but he doesn't have a tax platform. And you know the, the, the tax platform is very difficult just because there's tens of thousands of jurisdictions that you have to basically account for, and they're all a little bit different. And so he thought that you know, by combining the two, um, it would just be a, a really synergistic entity. And so, yeah, I guess there's, there's two components of the business. You've got the, the day force cloud business, and then you've got this legacy bureau business. Yeah. yeah so the bureau business is like an op, is like a on-prem. And so, so bureau had the tax jurisdictional, um, all the, all the data on the tax jurisdictions already built out. And they had a pretty large, large customer base. And Dayforce comes in with you know the shiny new product that is going to move them into you know the SaaS world. And so he took over, and there was you know a few things that he did. One thing was you know scaling back the size of the company, so he sold off non core assets, mm-hmm. and then just improving employee morale. Today, when you look at Ceridian, they are predominantly a SaaS based company that has this high end continuous calc function. And, and they've got a small on-prem biz, which is kind of rolling off. You want to have you know, a fully integrated product. And so you want to have the pay and, and tax functionality, and then also other modules. So like employee satisfaction, like HR, talent retention, all that stuff. And uh, so that's kind of one, one side of the business. So, so, so you want to have like a, a fully integrated platform. And then also the other thing is you want to have something that's obviously like web enabled instead of just like legacy mainframe. The publicly traded HCM companies are all, they all offer integrated solutions to varying degrees. So those with HCM bundles position themselves against point providers. Uh, Sweden yeah. has HCM plus payroll. Uh, they possess, position themselves against HCM bundles. Uh, Workday has HCM plus payroll plus financials ERP. Oracle and SAP have HCM payroll ERP plus platform plus infrastructure solutions. So integration seems ever expansive, but the the general trend here is that cloud is taking share from on-prem yeah. and integrated solutions are taking share from point solutions. If you, if you listen to any of these calls um, that OSIP uh, is on, 
he kind of talks about his strategy. So, and, and, and it touches to this. So he, he had previously built a workforce management program or a company for like large enterprises. Yeah. And then in, uh, and then he saw that in the payroll space, it, had, it was starting to move to the cloud. And so um, that's why he decided to build Dayforce. And the things that he liked about that market was that, you know, number one, it's a very large market. Number two, the requirements amongst customers are generally similar. And then, and then number three is that uh, there's the importance of a platform play. And so a lot of customers are going to their vendors and looking for something that is all encompassing. And so I guess it kind of makes sense. It's just easier to integrate all the different functionalities if it's coming from one vendor. And so I think ultimately that's probably where Ceridian wants to take itself. Um, but it's definitely not there yet. It's still in the process of building up the modules. I guess my problem with this one is that I don't know what the real differentiator is here. So everyone pitches the payroll HCM integration. Yeah. <laughs> and as far yeah. as the continuous calculation engine goes, while others don't call it by that name, they do offer what seem to be similar functionality. Paycom, for instance, has HR and payroll tied to the same database to allow for um, real-time interaction between these two domains. And then it looks like you're, you're paying a pretty hefty multiple for it. You can look at Ultimate Software and um, Ceridian and you know, they're both competitors. Ceridian will say that they're strategically advantaged. I don't, you know, I don't know how true that is or not, but I would say that you know, you look at the valuation for Ultimate. So Ultimate just got a takeout offer, and that was at a little bit above six times twenty twenty revenue. And so, um, if you look at Ceridian's twenty twenty revenue consensus, it's it's already trading at seven times. And to, and to your prior point. You know, part of that revenue is you know the roll off of the bureau business, and so even ma- management has said just you know do a DCF of that, back that out of the EV, and then look at the remaining business. And so I think if you do that, it, it's actually more like you know eight times uh, of the cloud revenue for 2020. And yeah. so you're already at like a two turn premium to Ultimate, which was which was taken out. I mean, Workday is at 12 times 2020 revenue, but. I feel like for some of these SaaS companies that serve higher end or you know enterprises, I think that the product offering just has to be so much more robust that I feel like it's it's I'd be more willing to pay a premium for for that than I would be for someone who's serving smaller markets. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like there's there's maybe two ways you can go about it. You can because if you look at um, uh, I was just looking at some like U.S. Census data about kind of the, if you look at the U.S. workforce population and how that's sort of divvied up according to companies of various sizes. And it's, it, I mean, you really, it's, it's kind of like a bimodal distribution where you have like a lot of these companies that are concentrated in very large companies. And then you have a lot of employees that are dispersed amongst very small companies. It, it seems like you can build significant businesses by addressing either of those tails. Because I mean, on the low end, you can have like an ADP or even like an Intuit. And they're really like focused on these really small companies. And then kind of at the high end, you've got substantial SaaS companies like Workday. And then sort of in the middle, it, it seems like you, you you have companies that are eventually just going to have to keep migrating up market. That, that seems to be the strategy. Yeah. So anyway, so, so let's, yeah. So I think we should, let's just like, I'd like to talk, talk uh, or sorry, touch, touch on T-Systems and also DMV quickly. Yeah. 
So, so T-Systems, it, it's a private, or it was a private company, so there's not too much information out there. And I, I talked to a few doctors, and my understanding is that this is like a legacy. This was like the first company that literally had like sheets that would allow, that would improve like the data, re, data retention and data recording for, um, for ER departments. And I guess what they did was they basically take the sheets and move it into like electronic format. By the way, when you say take the sheets and move it to a digital format, it looks like they've yeah. like literally done that. Like they, they took a sh- sheet of actual paper with all the fields <laughs> on it and put it behind a pane of glass. It doesn't look at all like they've customized their product for electronic platforms. Well, so, so the, so Dave, they don't actually, they don't use iPads. It's all done through fax machine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So, I mean, so I think you got like this, you got a company that has been around for a while. They probably have a ton of data, uh, but the product sucks, yeah. right? Just like the cheapest, oldest product. Anyway, so they put, they bought that for 200 million bucks. If you look at mm-hmm. Dun & Bradstreet, which they just closed on that acquisition like a few months ago, or I think, or maybe even sooner than that. Yeah. That I mean that that seems to be a very similar company. So DMB has been around for almost 200 years, and they've got tons of data on like credit and business relationships. And so it's just like another company with that's got you know data intensive, but maybe not, not necessarily like the best products or sales forces in the world. <laughs> I think it's just kind of interesting because Foley started his career by finding this sleepy industry that produced a ton of cash and saw the opportunity to do a roll-up strategy and basically created you know this, these behemoths of companies and he's kind of taking a similar approach with you know you had ceridian um and dayforce and now you've got t systems and dun and bradstreet and it's hard to say exactly what he's going to do with mm-hmm. either of those companies but um, they all have like the same characteristics of like overlooked industries or businesses um, that have a long operating history, but just like underperforming product. Yeah. And looking at Dun & Bradstreet, looked like this was, you know, it looks like a good business, but maybe operationally challenged. It sounds like, you know, they had a siloed sales force that didn't take advantage of cross-selling opportunities. They had, you know, thousands of products, hundreds of bundles, and just way too many products that were sold inefficiently. And so it sounds like there wasn't a lot of product innovation and also, maybe a little too much fat in the cost structure. I, mean, I guess when I just look at their EBITDA margins historically, kind of mid to high twenties, five to ten points below uh, Equifax and Experian, and they cycled through a bunch of CEOs. Yeah. The last CEO bounced like February 2018 while they were entertaining pipe investment proposals from private equity shops, and I think they're still looking for a CEO even now. And so, yeah, it sounds like there's you know plenty of opportunity for private. Ep- equity to get in here and you know cut costs or drive revenue growth. It looks like they're transitioning off of the uh, license-based models towards a subscription model. So maybe get some of those nice SaaS multiples uh, <laughs> on top of this thing. But I mean, I think that's what, but this is all stuff that, so I guess my point is like Foley has a history of, of doing these types of things, of, uh, of cutting the fat, putting in operators who are going to grow the business. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be invested alongside him. And then, you know, you brought up like the PE side of things. I mean, basically this allows you to invest alongside TH Lee and, and without paying them that two and 20. Let's see here. So 
CompSierra, Equifax, Experience, TransUnion, like those those kind of companies. Looks like those trade at call it low to mid teens EBITDA. Been a bunch of deals in that space over the last three or four years that got done at in the mid teens. DNB got taken out here at twelve times. So so at a discount and so and there's also room for margin improvement, high level if you sort of layer in some low single digit growth over the next five years, close the margin gap with experience, slap on a mid teens type multiple. And you can kind of say, yeah, like yeah, Kanae can earn kind of a mid teens return on their DNB investment. It seems doable, I guess. Just thinking about like the incremental uh, value um, that you get as a Kanae shareholder. You yeah, know? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than that if things work out. I mean, this thing is going. This uh-huh. thing is going to have a ton of of leverage. So that's that's the one thing that has kind of kept me on the sidelines with this is that mm-hmm. you know you've got. I guess they're only putting in so. So, so, so Kine levered up to buy this. I mean, they, they sold some stock in Ceridian um, to free up cash. And then they also mm-hmm. took out a margin loan. And so this was um, historically a net cash uh, company. And now it's, you know, now they've got some debt on them. And then on top yeah. of that, uh, Dun & Bradstreet has a ton of debt. So, uh, mm, okay. yeah. So if, if you want to just count this at book value for their investment, I mean, it was, uh, they're putting in 525 um, or sorry, what is it? They're putting in, yeah, five hundred twenty-five million uh, of equity into this business, and it's just so hard to uh-huh. say exactly what that's going to be because it's you know five hundred of equity in a very levered entity. Right, right. Okay, so you're you're thinking like conservatively, maybe we can value this investment at at book like where they bought it, so five hundred twenty-five million. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I. Yeah, but I'm almost I'm almost inclined to put it at a discount to book because it is part of this levered entity, you know. On the other side of it, though, they are getting value above and beyond what they paid because of what they're able to do with the asset. I guess it depends what your investment horizon is. Yeah, like long term, I would, you know, I like the management or I like the board. You know, you've got Foley and TH Lee and NCC Capital, and so I think you've yeah. got. Um, some some smart investors who are who are managing this thing, and you're right. I mean, there are there's room to to cut fat, um, and and maybe reaccelerate growth. But I guess it's more just I'm a little bit tepid on overall valuation in in the SaaS world today. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so near term, I don't really know if I want to make a levered bet on on this thing. Um, yeah. Hey, 30 times is the new 10 times. <laughs> revenue, not, yeah, not revenue. Yeah. Uh, and then, so what did you say about T-Systems as far as like how you would look at that at, at valuation there? That seems like, you know, I like the fact that they've, they're entrenched or they've got a, a long history with their customers. Um, uh-huh. It's it's a little bit more of a consolidated industry. I don't know. I think. I mean, I th- I would feel more comfortable. I don't know how, how levered it is. I don't think there's any debt in that. But I would feel more comfortable putting like a premium to book value on that. I was just going to say, like, I was a little bit disappointed that they did DMB instead of just focusing on T systems, because, uh-huh. um, I don't know. Foley has his hands in a lot of things. Like he's still the chairman of of two multi billion dollar companies. He's he's got this big Ceridian, Ceridian investment. He's trying to handle, like, dispose of these restaurants at some point, and then also grow T systems. I just felt like it'd be better for him to just focus on, you know, one or two of these things instead of going out and buying a third vertical. So with T systems, though, I guess um, two big players in the in this space where they're at are Cerner and uh, and Epic. 
in the healthcare IT area. Yeah. And I don't know this space that well at all, but it sounds like, you know, Cerner and Epic, they're, they're kind of moving towards like a more all-encompassing model where they provide like the hardware, the content, the managed services. And then when I looked at T-Systems, they ser- seem like more of a, a niche player in this area. So do you think like the idea is that, you know, they get taken out by by one of these bigger guys or do you think that there's like a real viable business uh, like sustainable and enduring business here in what they do I mean I haven't I haven't focused on this one as much either um, I would say like I think they're gonna do something similar to what they did with Ceridian which is like basically try to improve the product offering and leverage their you know leverage their customer base and and kind of accelerate top top line through uh, new products instead of um, Instead of you know what they've been doing historically, it's probably a sticky product because they're selling to hospitals and and it's software. But I guess you were saying earlier that you you think it's also maybe maybe not like the best product out there. That was just uh yeah that was just like the feedback that I got from a few people. Yeah yeah okay and so they bought this thing for two hundred million two hundred million yeah and I think okay let's see so T Systems doing like call it like seventy million a year of revenue okay and. Did you say this was a cloud-based SaaS? So, so twenty times revs. And <laughs> holy shit, you're getting the rest of Kane for free. <laughs> C day done in done in Bradstreet restaurants. You're getting paid to own these things. It's all just free options, baby. On the restaurant side, so right. So it looks like pure misery here. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, revenues here have fallen from you know one point four billion in two thousand fifteen. To you know, 1.1 billion EBITDA has dropped from 63 to nine. Three out of its four restaurant brands are comping negatively. Uh, gross margins just look horrible. I mean, it's like 11, 12 percent gross margins. Yeah. So they recently, uh, do you know the transactions? I forget exactly what it was, but they they reduced their exposure to O'Charlie's um, and and increased it to the 99 brand. Yeah, yeah. So 99 brands, it looks like that thing's been comping positively five to six percent, and it's doing just under 10 percent EBITDA margin. So it's it's profitable too. Uh, just the 99 brands part of it has like 30 million in EBITDA, and so it, it, whereas the segment as a whole is doing like less than 10 million. So that obviously implies that the other brands are unprofitable. 99 brands was profitable it was growing but the the but it's being dragged or it's being uh, obscured the 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 strong results there are being obscured by losses and negative comps everywhere else if you assign zero value to all the other restaurant concepts mm-hmm. if you can put like a six multiple on the 99 brands ebitda you might be able to imply like 180 million for the restaurant group yeah maybe that's aggressive i don't know but i mean i i guess i'm just looking at like brinker right like so that's the restaurant sure. company that owns Chili's and Maggiano's and that thing trades at like you know eight times EBITDA 0.9 times rev Brinker's not doing great but it's not like decaying <laughs> if you put a discount to Brinker on a on a restaurant concept that's actually growing it seemed not unreasonable that seems I mean that's the way I was thinking about it too was just assume that the other restaurants are just a write-off um, you know and yeah they increased their ownership to 99 I think they, they own almost 90% of it now. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the whole restaurant investment is is on the books at like 220 million, which, um, you know, seems fair, I guess, if 99 actually holds up, that that could be kind of a hidden asset within that restaurant group. 
I think I think like in my upside case, I'll just put this at book value. In a downside case, okay. What's book value? Two twenty. I mean, it's not it's not a huge driver of the value here. I mean, most of it's going to come down to to your your belief. If you're just going long Kinei, it's going to be your belief on Ceridian and then um, you know the private investments in the SaaS. And right. If if you're if you're trying to be cute about it, you you could short out Ceridian and probably get. Probably like you know, get a twenty percent upside if if um, if the market reflected the value of these other holdings properly. And so I think we were saying, um, okay, a restaurant groups. Let's just call it two hundred. And then we said T systems. You yeah, were T saying, systems. If you just do that book value, yeah. which I mean, two hundred. Yeah, that's what they invested it at. Um, so yeah, yeah. restaurants two hundred. The Dun and Bradstreet they put in five hundred for that, a little bit over five hundred. And then they've got some other they've got some other investment on the balance sheet. So they've got like a, an investment banking practice. They've got some real estate, like a hotel, a golf course. So so they've got seventy of cash on their balance sheet. They sold their seed. They sold another one hundred and thirty of of, of seed A. Yeah. So th- so after right. that, they've got two hundred of cash. Mm-hmm. They're paying five twenty five to Dun and Bradstreet. So that means they're going to be negative. They're going to be debt of three twenty five at that point. And, and they're basically doing that by it was like two hundred of cash and three hundred of debt or something. They took out a margin loan, essentially. So in any case, they're they're three twenty five of debt. So mm-hmm. um, like their enterprise value would be um, like seven hundred at that point. Yes. Now against that, you've got two hundred of T Systems, two hundred of restaurants, five hundred of Dun and Bradstreet, and another. 120 of these like other investments that are on the balance sheet. So that brings you to over a billion, probably, probably closer to like 1.1. And so against the 700, you're at like 1.1. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Getting a 1.1 billion of value for 700 million bucks. Right. Right. Would you say this is a 70 cent dollar? (laughs) (laughs) Dude, just do it all day long. Lever up. I'm talking about like 60, 70% portfolio concentration here. Um, so what do you think? What do you think about this? Do you think it's interesting? Or is this something that you would ever, ever invest in? Um, well, so C-Day, the, the largest source of value is not cheap and maybe even overpriced. Restaurants looks like a dog. T-Systems, I don't understand that business. Um, on the surface, I don't have any objections valuing restaurants at two, 200 and T-Systems at 200. I may be a little more optimistic about Dun & Bradstreet than you. In fact, of all their assets, D&B looks to me like the only one where I can see a path to value creation uh, via the operational fixes that we talked about. But dude, 10, t- 10 times leverage? <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't love that. <laughs> But I think you're right. I think like if you look at, um, you know, if you have like a, let's say a 10 year horizon, it's probably a good bet to put your money with TH Lee and Foley um, in a lever software entity, <laughs> you know, I don't do I, I was doing some research on restaurants and like, so oh, man, he's been in lo- involved. Like he bought like Carl's Jr. And then Hardee's and Checkers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think so. And one of them, he bought it, and then like half the affiliates, um, sorry, half the franchisees 
decide to walk the next year. So he had to buy them out. <laughs> and so like a $500 million investment became a billion dollar investment. Oh, wow. I think, yeah, I think his performance in restaurants has been pretty spotty. So yeah. it's just like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's done so many good deals like, like black Knight LPS, you know, like that was, yeah, this thing was probably a little bit more interesting yeah. in December when everyone was, everyone was shitting their pants. I don't know. So what else is going on with you? Are you just, just investing these days? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just actually, should I stop this now? Are we, you think we, we got a ton of material. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening everyone. And we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next time.